Welcome to another episode of Renegade Detroit Investors Podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Burgess, professional real estate investor, permaculture and urban farmer, curmudgeon, skeptic, and Keller Williams agent. What is Renegade Detroit Investors? RDI is a local real estate investment and business group that meets monthly at various locations throughout Metro Detroit. This group is about networking and doing deals. This ain't your grandma's Rhea, folks. No guru bullshit from the front. No smell of stale coffee, Ben Gay, and or disappointment. You know what I'm talking about. RDI is also this podcast where once a week I sit down with interesting and successful business people getting shit done. I pick their brain for your entertainment and hopefully education. And if you enjoy this podcast, I need your help, folks. I'm going to do this every podcast till we get there. We got some goals. We need to go from 550 weekly listeners in the next year to 5,000 weekly listeners. And here's what I need from you to help out. If you haven't already, go on the iTunes and write to me a review. Rate and review, please. Um, I know if you have an Android phone, just download it onto your computer and do it. I really appreciate it. That's what that's what really matters in the iTunes world. And then if you like the podcast, share it across all of social media. Spread the message. Subscribe as well. I really appreciate it too. And you do your part, I'll do my part. I'm going to double my production this year. All right, folks, uh, go to renegadedetroit.com. If you have any comments, uh, suggestions, questions, anything like that, if you're interested in any of the local meetings, go to meetup.com forward slash investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club. You can hit me up on Twitter or Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. I'm on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess. Or go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. All right. Legal disclaimer, don't blame me. Blame this fucked up world. In no way, shape, or form should anything that I and or my guests say be taken as legal and or investment advice. We highly recommend that before you make any investment decision or decisions, you contact a lawyer and or other licensed professionals. We also recommend that you grow up and become an adult and not to sue me. And I appreciate that very much. All right, time for the Renegade Detroit Investors Show Quote of the Week. I try and pick a quote that sets the tone for the podcast, your week, and the guest and I took this from our guest's Facebook page today. Before you criticize, criticize a man, first walk a mile in his shoes. That way, if he gets annoyed, you'll have a head start and he'll have no shoes. <laughs> Before you criticize a man, first walk a mile in his shoes. That way, if you get annoyed, you'll have a head start and he'll have no shoes. And let me introduce you to my guest today, Mr. Howard Jennings. Seven years ago, Howard was considering moving from England to Italy or France when his wife, Sue, showed him a house for sale in Detroit for $1,000. And they couldn't figure out if it was for sale or for lease. So he called the agent and asked. Two weeks later, they were walking the streets of Detroit looking for investment property. Uh, in the beginning, they were rehabbing, renting, and then selling properties to cash flow investors looking for turnkey properties. And over time, clients asked for other services, and the business grew from there. Three and a half years ago, they moved from England after the business grew too big to manage. So now, Administrative Property Management, APM, works in six states and has clients for 36, from 36 countries. He sets up LLCs, bank accounts, property insurance policies, CPA services, bookkeeping, and other services, all to cater and help out-of-state and overseas investors manage the administrative side of their investment real estate. That means they're not collecting rent or anything like that. And he's married to Sue, and they have three children. Definitely check them out. Mr. Howard Jennings, go to Stateside APM, Stateside APM, and also he has a Facebook fan page. If you go to facebook.com forward slash Stateside 
a.p.m. How are you doing, Howard? I'm good, thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I'm glad to have you here. This is going to be fun. So <laughs> what makes... Okay, I, so I know a little bit of the backstory. There was a yeah. downturn in the yep. economy in England, and you and your wife were thinking about moving or retiring or something. What, what was going on that made you look for something different? Well, we were house builders in the UK, and um, just as here the housing market crashed and no one was buying houses. So we thought, what can we do? And we thought the easiest thing to do would be to sell up and move to another country. Why that was the easiest yeah, thing to I just, do, I have no not, idea. I don't think that's the easiest thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm, I think I'm unemployable. Yeah. So getting a job wasn't really on the cards. And we thought what we would do is we'll buy a farm or – something like that in Italy or France, beautiful countries, and we'll turn it into bed and breakfasts and people would come and stay with us and we'd make money and we'd basically do nothing. And so that's what the plan was. So I was out on the building site and Sue was at home researching where we were going to move to. And it was coming home one day that she said, hey, look at this house. And I said, where and she said america <laughs> now i hated america at the time um never wanted to go never wanted to come and uh i was oh, america america okay. yeah america yeah um i've got a timeshare in ibiza and back in the 80s 90s when you lot were traveling the world because you had money well back before we were broke yeah yeah <laughs> coming to europe <laughs> Um, I used to get RCI phoning me up saying, do you want to swap your one week in January in this horrible resort for three weeks in Disneyland in the summer? And I would say, no, I don't want to go to America. And I would turn down all these deals. So there I was presented with this house, which was $1,000. And is it for sale or is it to rent? Because that's what you'd pay to rent something small where we lived. And um, when the agent said it's for sale, my thought was, well, hang on a minute. Worst that happens is I lose $1,000. Best that happens is I own a house. So I said, okay, I'll, I'll have it. I'll put it on my credit card. <laughs> and that's when I discovered you can't buy a house over the telephone on your credit card. At the time. At the time. At the time. Yeah. Different now. Yeah, absolutely can do it now. Yeah. 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 And, so, and that's where we started. So we did some research, um, decided where we were going to buy. We decided what our price point was. And we flew over two weeks later, walking the streets of Detroit. We were given the Clint Eastwood tour. That's the good, the bad, and the ugly. Yep. And um, we opened our bank account. We discovered when we were here that the area we'd picked out was East English Village. We didn't know at the time what it was called, but we just had it narrowed out streets. Excellent area. And yeah, yeah. Well, so we discovered that's where at the time everyone was buying. Our price point was 15 grand all in. And um, I love those numbers. Hard to hit those numbers now. You can't yeah. buy a shell for that. Yeah. yeah. Now, yeah. Um, and people say Detroit's not changed. But it has dramatically. Absolutely, it has. Yeah. It's not the same city at all. No. We, we opened our bank account with 20 bucks, walked out with a checkbook full of 20 checks, 
and proceeded to write EMDs for a thousand dollars. Gave them to uh, realtors. Yeah, here's this paper. Yeah, 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 yeah. it was great. And uh, and that's how we started. And we bought our first house three months later, sight unseen. Oh wow! Okay. <laughs> yeah. So did you buy? You bought your first house from England after you came and you did your little. Yeah. Okay. None of the offers we placed were accepted. Um, and so I came out again about two or three months later and, um, we had a fax header page that said stateside property company, as we called ourselves at the time, stateside property company offers $5,000. And we just wrote the address in and we sat in the office just faxing this <laughs> through to, to people. And we, I think we sent 42 faxes in, uh, in one session and, uh, we got no offers accepted, surprisingly. Um, and then we, I went back uh, to hear that one offer had come in and we bought it. Um, and then we rehabbed it, kept my shirt. Um, we built up about the original game. The original goal was to buy enough houses and live off the income and retire. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, but we soon found out we didn't have enough money for that. And then the people we were working with at the time, um, said, do you want to sell one? I've got a buyer. So I said, as long as we make a profit, I don't care. So we sold it. And that's how we got into, into selling them as turnkey. Yeah. I did that for, for several years too, a profitable business as well. Well, we saw you. Um, we didn't see you, but we knew of you when we first started coming yeah. up because you were still all over the internet then. I remember seeing pictures of you holding the numbers. Yep. And then having a profile shot first for that was back. That was back in the day. That was back in the day. Yeah. I think I stopped in 2011 when my, uh, when I figured out my partner was, uh, an evil bastard. Yeah. So yeah, that was a, that was a tough wake up call. So you started get so you got in, you're there right, right around 2010 is when you got started, yeah, right? Somewhere around there. Yeah, yeah. Okay. How did, um, First of all, let's talk about, so what kind of houses were you building in England? Because that's interesting. Well, so. we were building probably what you call custom build. Ah, okay. So um, Sue, who has a background in computer programming, obviously designed them. And I was a financial advisor for 20 years until one day I woke up and said, I think I'll build a house. Yeah. How hard can it be? It's not that hard, actually. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, and so Sue designed them and I built them. And, um, literally I did everything from staking out the foundations and digging them. Oh, wow. To putting the roofs on, wiring, plumbing, everything. So you really did build them. Like, oh, yeah. You built them. Yeah. When yeah. I say I was a house builder, I was the house builder. Yeah. And I did it with a small team. I would say a small team of craftsmen, but they were hopheads. <laughs> yeah. <drunkards>. No. Yeah. <laughs> Same here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. You feel just at home, right? Yeah. Yeah. I don't know what it is about the building industry, but. Ooh, they get some interesting folks. So it's surprising how easy it is for them, though, to clamber scaffolding and balance on the top of roofs and things. Having had a few puffs, yeah, than it is when they haven't. <laughs> I'm not going up there. No, I had uh, I had an acquaintance who would get high. Like, I'm talking like high, high, and then climb a tree and start like it would cut down trees. Like, this seemed like a terrible idea to me, but. I, Seem fine with it. It's not. It's not something I would do. You know, I Wrong choose life. Limb. Yeah, I choose life. I'm not going to do that. So, um, how many of these custom homes did uh, you and your wife build? We rehabbed um, and remodeled. Uh, I suppose. Um, 
I, I don't know, seven, ten, something like that. And we built from scratch two. Um, the last one we built was about five and a half thousand square feet. That's a big house for yeah, England. Yeah, it was, it That's was huge. huge. You, if you, when you walked in the front door, if you walked around the entrance lobby or the hall, as we call it, into the kitchen, and then there was like a garden room, uh, and then back round. So you just followed the wall round. It was a hundred yards. Damn. <laughs> that- <laughs> That is huge. And if you wanted to go to the toilet, you you'd go out a bit like Scott. You better go, plan, right? Yeah, you'd go ahead, leave some food parcels, yeah. and come back, and so that you could stop on the way for a break. What did that house sell for? Had- um, when we were building it um, before the market crashed, it was around about eight hundred thousand um, pounds. Convert that to dollars at the time; it was about one point six dollars to the pound so 1.4 million something like that um but when we sold it house prices have crashed and uh i can't remember maybe six six or 550 something like that oh man did you take a bath on that or no we came out with a profit but nowhere near what we should have done yeah uh and it was it was selling the house that enabled us to come out and and do what we do or what we thought we were going to do properly as it was, we did something completely different when we got here. Yeah. So what what would be the average sales price for a home where, because that's one of the things that I know attracts a lot of Europeans to America, especially Detroit, is the low um, low housing values, right? You can buy a house here and rent it out very cheaply in comparison to most places overseas. Absolutely. I mean, You've got to ignore places like London and the big cities. Yeah, that's crazy everywhere. London, New York, you're going to compare them the same and they're going to be silly prices. So if, you, if you're looking for somewhere to compare Detroit to, you've got to compare it to an equivalent working class town, I suppose. And the sort of house that you're going to buy in Detroit, your, your three-bed bungalow, Typically in the UK, you're probably going to be looking at an equivalent thing of £150,000, yeah. $200,000. Um, but they're made of brick. They're not made of um, timber or timber with bricks on the outside pretending to be brick. Um, and they're probably a little bit larger, um, but they wouldn't be on their own plots. We We don't often get... Um, well, we do get what we call detached houses, but they would be more expensive. A lot more expensive. Yeah, because yeah. it's on its own plot. Yeah. Um, they stack them deep in England and yeah. in Europe in general. Yeah. yeah. We have no land. Yeah. That's the difference. Um, you know, here, if you pull a house down and you walk away from it, you've got a plot of land that's worth nothing. But if you do that in England or well, Europe generally, you've got a plot of land that may be worth hundred thousand or more um depending on what you think you're going to get planning permission to put on it so if you're going to put something on it that's going to sell for half a million because of where it is or just because it's big then the land might be two hundred thousand and it could be a plot the size of a detroit plot yeah nothing yeah yeah Yeah, nothing nothing build a house on it just stack them just real real close i remember i lived in um Let's see. I was in. I lived in the suburbs of London, um, 
Rainer's Lane. I remember the tube stop. So Rainer's Lane in North Arrow. Yeah, yeah. So I actually went to my fifth grade year. I went to, let's see if I can remember that, um, Westboro Middle School or something like that. I know the area, but I don't know it well. Yeah. My just sister lives in Edgeway, Stacked deep. Like everything is dense. Yeah. Everything is dense. Shops are dense. Homes are dense. Yeah. Businesses are dense. Everything's squashed in. Yeah. And just, the prices there are horrendous. Yeah. Crazy prices. Absolutely crazy. My mum lives in a three-bedroom house. It's a semi-detached, so you would call it a side-by-side duplex, I suppose. Um, it's, it was built in 1933 It's brick and it is, um, probably 13, 1400 square feet. Um, postage stamp back garden, postage stamp front garden has a garage, um, probably worth 800,000 pounds. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. Absolutely crazy. (laughs) Ridiculous. So that that's obviously something that attracted you to Detroit, right? When you saw these low home values, like what a thousand bucks? How can they even possibly be something that's true? Exactly. Know? And we came here purely because prices were so cheap. And you you can't imagine that my son my son's first car was a really old Fiat Punto. I don't know if you have them here. No. Um. It was more than that house, <laughs> and it was a 15-year-old car. Yeah. Um, and, and at the time, our all-in price for $15,000 was less than a Ford Focus. Hmm. And it just doesn't make sense. No, that was one of the things that for – imagine if you got started in 2008. I was doing the same thing yeah. for 10000 yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that was, I thought that was like diving kind of, you know, to heaven, like all this real estate around. It's just I was amazing. still in my hate America yeah. days then. Yeah, why do you hate America, out of curiosity? Well, because it's all artificial, it's all plastic, the people are loud and horrible. And most of that's still true. You know, that, that's what it is. You know, it's all fake. Yeah. Um, this, the really weird thing was when we got here, we met some really horrible people at the airport. Uh, at Heathrow, who was saying, um, where are you going? We're going to America. Oh, right, where? Detroit. What are you going to Detroit for? We're going to buy houses. Well, let me give you some advice. <laughs> These were old people, probably my age. And um, they, they were retired, I'm guessing, late 60s, 70s. Let me give you some advice. If you're going to buy houses in Detroit, don't buy black and I'm thinking, well, hang on a minute. Detroit's 92% black or something. Yeah, it's going to be pretty tough. Who is the white person who's selling their house? Yeah. So that was my first question. And then she said, but really what you want to do is buy north of 8 Mile. Don't buy south of 8 Mile. And I said, well, that's not Detroit then. The yeah. city limits 8 Mile from what I know. I knew nothing at the time. And she said, you want to buy somewhere nice like where I live? Um, I live in um, Growth Point, and uh, my friend here lives in um, St. Clair Shores. And I said, well, they're not Detroit, and I can't afford to buy houses there. And we were stunned at the, the racism that was just so there in our face. But when we got here, all of my preconceptions were proven to be wrong in most cases. People are great. Um, 
almost everybody we meet is really nice and friendly. And we were here three days and I turned around and said to Sue, you know, I think I could live here. And we were walking in the hood. Yeah. You know, we, um, one of the things that I've always done is go anywhere. I've never been bothered about, oh, hang on a minute. Someone said this is a dangerous area here. I shouldn't go here. I've, I've gone everywhere and I say what I want to everybody and anybody. And um, I'm still here. Well, that's interesting. I, that happens all the time where – did you ask these ladies uh, how much real estate they bought and sold in their lifetime? No, of course I didn't. Not, I was right? a bit stunned. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You didn't know. You didn't know what to what to expect there. So yeah, well, we, well, I'm glad you didn't listen to them, right? Well, yeah, a lot, I mean, lot of lost opportunity if that's what you're concerned about, right? I, I'm a, a Londoner originally, but I love the country. I don't like cities, but Detroit is one of those places that I actually really enjoy going to. It's like a, living in the country in a city. It is. It's because weird. This because there's so so many vacant lots yeah no it's true <laughs> it it's uh i don't know what it is there's something about the city maybe it's the spirit of the people i don't know i remember um i've been coming maybe a couple of years and on the second visit i made friends with a a black guy called des cortez he's an actor so watch his films um and um we were in a bar with his mates and there was sat around the table at the time. Nobody had a job. So you didn't say to somebody, what do you do for a living? <laughs> yeah, <everybody. laughs> I'm unemployed. Do do? Yeah. Yeah. What job do you do? Yeah. Um, so it was, I was, you know, what's everybody do? What, what do you do? And they all sat around the table and one of them helped old people with their shopping. Somebody um, taught in school, uh, spoke in schools to stop um, or try and keep kids out of gangs and that type of thing. And everybody was doing something. And my friend actually had a job at the zoo. Uh, he was uh, taking school, uh, school kids around in parties, teaching them about the animals. And I said, that's what I find so inspiring about Detroit. I don't think I've met a bad person in all my visits. And I was coming out every two, three months. And I said, I don't think I've ever met a bad person in any of my visits. And they all sort of looked a bit sheepishly and screwed a bit on this. Yeah, seats. just wait. <laughs> yeah. And then one of them went, um, two years for robbery. And then the next yeah. one went, um, five years for assault. And then it got round to one guy who did 10 years for, um, uh, 10 years for armed robbery, I think. Uh, and then it got to me and I just sort of went, um, Three points speeding. Yeah. You know? uh, but every one of them. I loitered done, once. Yeah. <laughs> every one of them had done time. Yeah. Um, but they'd all seemed to have changed their lives around. They all did good things. And the guy that did the 10 years, um, I met sometime later to discover that that night was his first week out of prison. Mm. And uh, I was I was touched at what what everybody did, including him. He was already doing stuff in the community. Yeah, it's hard to be a young male in this city, in a city where there's not very many good male examples. Yeah, think of how stupid you were when you were young, right? And imagine just growing up without any good example. Right? Yeah, I mean, you're going to get in trouble. I was stupid, and I I had a father at home who yeah. was, you know, trying to teach me right from wrong, but I still did stupid things things they thought were stupid like, no, they were stupid i'm sure right probably yeah. <laughs> probably probably yeah <laughs> we used to make um uh ordinance 
<laughs> ordinance? Ordinance. What is that? Um, Landmines. Uh, oh, aids, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Charges yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, things like that. Well, that puts you on a list here now. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. Well, at the time, you could buy um, weed killer. You could buy sodium chlorate. Yeah. And uh, as, as, I don't know, 11, 12-year-olds, we would experiment with these things. and uh, Yeah, that's pretty stupid. Blow frogs up. Yeah. 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 It's a good way to blow your hands off, too, right? Yeah, your we fingers. were lucky. We never Very lucky, that. yeah. We, we, we tried our landmines out to see if they worked by running over them. Yeah, that's not very bright. <laughs> Did you draw straws at least to see who got the short straw? No, we tend to push someone. Yeah, okay. you. It's like the penguin approach where they go yeah. the killer whales. They just jostle until one of them falls in. If you get eaten, you don't jump in. Yeah. <laughs> not a bad policy. So. Yeah. Um, so you're buying houses in Detroit and... By accident, you're selling them because you don't, you yep. realize you didn't have enough money to yep. do what you wanted to do. And I'm sure you know something that I noticed that there were a lot of services. You were getting requests for additional services, challenges people couldn't overcome from overseas or out of state, right? Well, the, yeah. The, the thing we noticed very early on is that finding a, a cheap house, really easy. Finding a good cheap house, a little bit harder, but still relatively easy. Getting it rehabbed. Uh, whilst keeping your shirt, yeah, and everything in it, <laughs> and everything in it, yeah, is harder still. Finding a decent tenant is harder still, but all these things are reasonably achievable. Just have to do a bit of due diligence. But all of that is ten percent. The other ninety percent is having good quality property management, and we discovered early on a system that enabled us to check our property managers and make sure that they were being honest and upfront with us. And people would come to us to buy houses, but they would also say, I've got this other house that I've bought from Wee Conneman Howe or yeah. some other realtor, and I need help with insurance or I need a property manage manager. Can you help me? And so we would – out of the goodness of our heart and the stupidly thinking, if I do it for nothing, they'll buy a house from me. Yeah, that never works. No. No. We did all of this help and we would give them, introduce them to our property managers. We would tell them how we did it. We would um, help them with insurance. And we would, for the first year or so, we gave all this away free. And um, it dawned on us just before we moved here that we were doing so much of this help that we weren't actually selling many houses because it took too much time. And it was at that point, uh, and people would come to us by um, referral. We never advertised. We had a website. We didn't SEO it because I didn't trust any of the Indians that sent me emails asking to do it for me. And um, so presumably nobody ever found us. I don't know. <laughs> But they did, and they would find you. Yeah, they have to find you yeah. slowly but steadily, right? Uh, they, they did slowly but surely. They would find us, and, and we helped them. And eventually we realized we had to charge for doing it. And I was coming out here once a month. Uh, I think the year before I came out, I spent 20 grand on airfares. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and people were saying, well, next time you go to America, can you check my house over? And instead of recouping some of the airfare, I would reschedule my flight to go at a more convenient time to look at the house. You know, that's a little too nice, uh, you, Howard. You I just think, don't yeah. think of 
you know, you're not thinking properly. You're thinking of how these people have been ripped off by whoever. And um, you just want to help. And, and that's what we did. For the people listening, um, it still goes on now, although it's not as frequent. Um, but in the good old days, especially between like 2008 and 2013, when houses were really, really cheap, um, there was a lot of startup overnight, guaranteed rent, guaranteed all this, yep. sell the house for 10 times what it's worth and guarantee something for X number of years. And it's all a scam yep. every fucking time. And I would get literally hundreds of these calls. I still get them now and yep. buy their houses. If you're that person, you want to sell your house cheap, reach out to me. Let me know. 313-600-2133. I'm sorry to happen, but I can end your pain. But there was a ton of that during Alternatively, that time. Come to us and we'll rehabilitate it and get oh, yeah. it performing for you. <laughs> or, if, or if you want to get it fixed, contact Howard at statesideapm.com. And if you want to be done, contact me. Yeah. Um, and it was like the wild, wild west. It literally, it literally was. And then after Detroit went bankrupt, you know, they started prosecuting a few people. They got my ex partner anyway, too. He did two and a half years in prison. Same shit. Um, it slowed down a little bit, but it still occurs right now. But the prices aren't as cheap. So there's just, not as much of that kind of yeah. shenanigans as we, there used we to had be. a lot of people buying properties that they that they were told were rehabbed and never were and uh they would send us these are the photos they sent me of the house and they would look beautiful except it wasn't the house that they actually bought yeah and uh and they found it difficult to understand how people could do that uh because no one would do that in the in you know in England or Australia or Belgium or wherever they happen to live. But of course they do because Absolutely. they were sold to, sold yes. them by Brits, Australians and Belgians and wherever they happen to be, Hong Kong, um, Israel, you know, you, you name it, someone's been ripped off there. Yeah, that happens. It happens all the time. In fact, about half the houses I sold, I sold with overseas partners. Yeah. And they would, they would do the selling. We would split the profit. Generally, we would target something like $10,000 in profit and we do a 50-50 split. They bring the buyer. I brought the house and the tenant, and you know, there you go. Wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We had one partner who, whenever we wanted to retail it for, they would add twenty grand on. Yeah, and it's they wanted, crazy. If they weren't going to make twenty grand out of it, they weren't interested in selling the house, and which inv invariably meant back in twelve and thirteen, they were selling houses for forty-two to forty-five thousand dollars. They're doing even more now. But the, back then they yeah. were worth thirty, yeah, and that's the, that's the the sad thing. Well, if if that's the end of the sadness, if they're actually rehab, there were people who did all that, then didn't rehab the house. It was never rented, and yeah, yeah, you got payments for six months until they couldn't squeeze any more money out of you, and all of a sudden it would go bad, right? Yeah, and, that, and typically those uh, were what a lot of our clients were. Yeah, that that happens a lot. So. Um, at some point, though, you decided, I'm just, I guess $20,000 in airfare in one year is just too fucking much, right? You're like, I got to move here. Well, that was it, yeah. yeah. It, it was, what are we going to do? Um, we can't keep going backwards and forwards. Um, what else do we know how to do? Uh, nothing. Uh, so <laughs> <laughs> I have um, I could become a drunk, or I guess I can do this. Yeah, I've been employed for just under eight years in my entire life. Um, when I left school, um, I wanted to be an architect. So the school I went to 
put me on a a course that taught me how to make things out of metalwork and wood but apparently that's not what architects need to know so i couldn't become an architect and i left school at 16 uh on the friday went for a job interview on the monday um went back on the wednesday for the second interview got the job and was asked this was about 10 30 in the morning and was asked when can you start and i'd already haggled my pay negotiated my pay up as, as you do as a 16 year old because my mum told me don't accept what they offer always ask for more i did what mum told me good job mum yeah and um he said when can you start and i said well I think mum's made lunch for me, but I can probably come back afterwards. Eleven <laughs> thirty. <laughs> yeah, and he said, uh, "Why don't you leave it till next Monday?" So <laughs> I worked with them for five years in a hobby shop selling model railways and aircraft and things, and then I um, started selling insurance. I got a job as a salesman for Combined Insurance Company of America, which is now Aon. Apparently, really, who knew? Yeah, yeah, huge. I thought they went out of business. It's probably um, got bought up, right? No, they bought people. They expanded. Mm. I was surprised. I read the history recently, actually, and they were founded by a great self-motivated man called W. Clement Stone. Ah, okay, yeah. Uh, and he worked with a guy called Napoleon Hill. Right? They wrote lots of self-help books, none of which I ever read. Not one? Well, I started. Think and Grow Rich. Is, yeah, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, yeah, when one door opens, another one closes, or the yeah. other way around. And he had loads of um, motivational slogans that we had to put around the office everywhere, um, which are great in America because you lot read these things and say them and believe them and act on them, whereas us Brits are really cynical. A smidge more than uh, – I don't know. I'm pretty cynical at this point in my life, though. So <laughs> we rewrote them all, as you yeah. would do. And there were, there were things like, if at first you don't succeed, try, try again, said earnestly. Yeah. And we rewrote that to, if at first you don't succeed, lower your goals. <laughs> Why do today what you can put off till tomorrow? Yeah. <laughs> you know? and, uh, and so that was, the office was filled with, with loads of those. Yeah. Um, and I did that for five years i did start to read think and grow rich and i got about 10 pages in before i was fed up getting bruises on my forehead from slumping on the table and uh i didn't read any of any of the others uh didn't even attempt them you ever, for five years though you ever try like an audio book or well yeah i i used to listen to audio books in the car but they were generally thrillers or porn <laughs> what do you all right i like the sound of that yeah I, I I'm the pirate. Five, I, did it, I did it for five years, and the first three months were fantastic, but the last four years and nine months were absolutely shit. Hated yeah. every minute of it. Yeah. Um. And uh, and then I became a, a proper financial advisor. I did it for twenty years, advising people on life insurance, pensions, investments. Uh, I worked for myself though for all of that time, and it was only the first five years in the shop. And then um, having realized that I was actually no good at it, everybody said, you're fantastic. You're, you're fantastic. You know so much. And I had no confidence. And I couldn't ever, ever understand why I could make a living, but only just, whereas everyone around me seemed to be getting really rich. 
And um, I met Sue, got divorced and met Sue. And my life just seemed to change. And it dawned on me, it suddenly dawned on me why I wasn't successful. I was. I spent all my life thinking my dad left school at 14. And when he was at school, he was the guy that always jumped over the wall to get the football back and never went back. So he didn't have much schooling. Yeah. He could read and write and do maths, but, you know, barely. He wasn't fluent in anything. And I thought, oh, Christ, I left school at 16, and I've got a couple of bits of paper that I got grade five in something, you know, isn't the six and one is best, uh, but I've got exams. So I've obviously got to be able to be more successful than my dad. And my dad had a chain of stores, had the first supermarket in the area where he lived and was, you know, reasonably successful businessman. And I was under the apprehension that I'm going to be better because I've got exams and more education. What I didn't factor in was the fact that I was bone idle lazy. That'll do it. And yeah. As soon as I realized that's why I wasn't successful, I was then able to be successful because I changed how I worked. I thought I had to have a job and go to work. And so I would get up and go into my office at nine in the morning and come home at five. And during that eight or nine hours, wherever it adds up to, I would sit and do things that would distract me from earning money. Yeah, that's very clients. common, actually. I bet people listening right now... Um I've done it in the past. Yeah. And then what I, what I learned was you don't have to do that. If you don't want to do anything, don't do anything. But if you do want to do something, do something you enjoy and make money from that. Because if you enjoy doing it, you're going to do it. And if you make the money, it doesn't make any difference. You're not doing it for that. You're doing it for the pleasure. And so that's when I said, I think I'll build houses because I've always enjoyed doing that sort of thing. I didn't know how to, but let's face it, how hard can it be? You've got a fucking hammer and nail and a saw. Yeah, it's not that hard. No. I've seen the people who build them, you know. You a little bit of math, but not that much. I yeah. used trigonometry for the first time yeah. since I left school uh, to learn to make the walls at right angle. Yeah, that's, a, that's one of the more useful maths is trig. Yeah. So, Also, for people listening in England, um, school you can stop school at 16 and get out. That's like your senior year right so it's yeah. not like he just left it's just i'm just going to translate oh, yeah, for, yeah. I, yeah. I, i'd reach the end of what you would call high school i suppose yeah. yeah and um i could have stayed on at high school and done two more years or i could have left and gone to what they call technical college but i thought that's where you learn to be a car mechanic so i didn't do that i didn't want to be that and uh if i'd done the extra two years i then could have gone on to university and got a degree but I didn't know what you got degrees for, and nobody explained it to me. And I thought, well, if I get a degree in history, I'm only going to use that, surely, to be a history teacher, because what use is history for you at work? And I, nobody explained anything to me as a kid. So uh, I thought, well, there's no point in going to university. And I wasn't clever enough anyway. So uh, that was me, out into the big wide world, get a job. Yeah, most people do. Most yeah. people do. It's funny, too, what you say about how much time people spend avoiding meaningful work. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That That's like an epic. I 
I did it, right? I think we're all guilty of it at some point yeah, in our life. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and one thing I remember when I finally put the pieces together, it was sometime like around 23 or 24. I was like, and it takes a lot more work than people tell you to. I was 42 when it dawned on me. To be successful. It takes a lot more work. It's just massive amount. Like, oh, you'll do this. No, it takes a ton of work, focus work and applied work. So. Well, what I find the opposite, actually, I was when I was unsuccessful, I found myself thinking about it and wanting to be successful much more than when I was successful and I wasn't thinking about what I was doing because I was enjoying what I was doing and therefore not realizing I was thinking about it. Um, it as an example of avoiding work, when I was a financial advisor, the government in the UK passed a law that said anyone who comes to you for advice, you have to send a letter to detailing your meeting. But it can't be a standard letter. It has to be an individual letter tailored to that client, which will take you maybe 15 minutes to type and then 10 minutes as you know what you're doing. Well, I'm far too important to spend <laughs> 10, 20 minutes typing a letter. So what I did, I wrote this super, super huge, big macro in Word that would automate this for me. And little boxes would appear and I'd check a selection. It was a husband and wife. And then um, we discussed pensions and life insurance and mortgage and a couple of other options. And I'd click go and it would type this letter for me. And each one was different because I wrote 25 different paragraphs and it would randomly select relevant paragraphs and each letter was different. And it was fantastic. It worked a treat and I could run off a letter for someone in about three minutes. It took four months to write. Yeah. Yeah. You spent way more time writing it. Than Absolutely. Just to do the letters. I yeah. probably used it for five letters. Yeah. But it was so quick to do a letter. And well worth it. <laughs> and of course, it meant I didn't have to work because I was doing something more important. In America, we call that putting a cart before the horse. Yeah. Yeah, that's definitely a case of putting the cart before the horse. Yeah. Doing yeah. it backwards, folks. <laughs> was it? I used to be indecisive, but now I'm not so sure. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's fucking hilarious. But I don't know. I, I'm still thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so that's, that's what I used to spend my days doing. I did that for maybe 20 odd years. Um, and then it, it dawned on me when I was sort of 42 and I changed what I did. I did what I liked. There was no effort of going to work. People paid me for doing it. And, um, I really enjoyed fitting kitchens and people would ask me to fit their kitchens. They saw, I said, Oh, that's good. Will you do one for me? Yeah. Okay. Suddenly I own a kitchen installation company and I had a website selling kitchens and I found someone that's bought them in from China and sold them cheaper than a used box of matches. Mm. And suddenly I was doing that. And that's really how we got into doing houses because we did kitchens and rehabs. And then I got fed up doing that. I thought I'll build, a, I'll build one from scratch. It can't be hard, can it really? Yeah, no, not really. Once you start doing that. Well, I'm interested about this. Um, how did you, was it like, a, did it dawn on you all at once? That you were, it sounds like, miserable and just bored to tears, right? Just I, distracting yourself with anything at that point in time to, right? Yeah. Was it a, was it like you just one morning woke up, what the fuck am I doing? Or was it like a gradual progression? Well, 
I, I dug myself into this hole where um, the, the we'd missed mortgage payments. The wife had left me. Was close to foreclosure. Didn't know what to do. Hated work. Um, I was um, in the in the UK. You can go overdrawn in your bank account. Uh, they allow you to do so. They give you what they call an overdraft limit, and I had ten thousand pound overdraft limit. That's and a I hell had, of an overdraft limit. Yeah, and I had a ten thousand pound overdraft. Shit. And to make the bank think I was making money, when I did get a commission check, I would deposit it in the bank. I would then take it out in bits and pieces and put it back in in bits and pieces. So it looked like I was, you know, I'd take out five hundred pounds and I'd put back three hundred, then I'd put back 200 then i take 400 out and so the bank could see all this money coming through oh he's making money and they didn't realize it was the same two grand just being recycled and um then one day the bank called me in and they said um we'd like our overdraft back please tomorrow tomorrow <laughs> and uh, i this was june it's not likely to happen <laughs> well that's what i said i said You've seen what's been in my account since January. I can't. I haven't got the money. I can't do it. So it gave me a month, two weeks to pay off five, and the other two weeks to pay off ten. I needed a job. Basically, I needed a job. So one of the we used to get people from insurance companies coming into my office to get me to sell their products. And one guy came in, and I said, "I, I need a job. I fancy doing what you do." And he said, well, I think my boss is recruiting. And the guy phoned me up, gave me an interview over the phone and said, I like what you're saying. Can I come in? So he came into my office and interviewed me in the office. Now, I'm like two weeks from foreclosure. The My world is falling apart at the seams. If I don't get this job, there's nothing else. I'm, that's it. I've I'm lost everything. And um, he gave me the interview and he said, okay, yeah, I, I think we're ready to go to the last stage, do a presentation for me. I've never done a presentation in my life. I asked him what I should do. He told me what to do. He told me how to present it. And so I went home and I spent five minutes with Sue in PowerPoint and we put together this presentation. And he wanted to know how I was going to handle the insurance brokers that I was going to be calling on to get them to sell this company's product. And um, I called it, they, the group of brokers is called um, a, a panel. And I called my presentation panel beating, <laughs> uh, which is in, in the UK, That's funny. it's yeah. um, the fender of, you know, the, the car panels. Yeah. And if you get a, a knock on it, you'll take it to a, a workshop where a panel beater will make the the car look nice again. So I went in for this job that I had to get. I've got to be deadly serious. I've got to, you know, I've got to put my A game on, as you lot say. And um, he sat down. He said, I hope you're ready. And I said, so do I. Um, I've got a friend who's really into the psychology of selling. And this is true. And he said, there are two types of people, three types of people, actually. There's the, People, the audio type, and they listen to you and they say things like, I hear what you're saying. I hear where you're coming from. And there are the tactile 
type of personality and they say things like, yeah, I can grasp what you're saying. And there are the visual and they say, yeah, I see where you're coming from. Unless I said that first, in which case it's the audio who hear where you're coming from. Yeah. But you get the picture. So if you don't know what that person is, then you use all of the three types of words until you pick up what they are and then you use their language so if uh, if it's a visual person you're seeing where they're coming from and you're using that type of language they relate to you they're more likely to buy so as i don't know what you are i says to the guy i'm going to use all three so i opened up my presentation i said and to appeal to your visual side i've got pictures for you to look at and to appeal to your audio side i'm going to speak to you and to appeal to your tactile side, I'm going to hold your hand because I'm shit scared. <laughs> <laughs> At which point I went into my presentation that took five minutes to produce. And he said, that's the best presentation I've ever seen. Can I borrow it and use it on training? You must have spent hours on that. And I'm thinking, this guy's a fool. <laughs> and I got the job. Uh, there was a few more things that I had to dig my hole out. Dig out and I'm digging out with a shovel and he's yeah that was heavy shit you're like backed into a corner right yeah get some stuff done well he said to me what do you think about um role plays in training and i said a complete waste of time and he said why and i said well the salesman always does it by the book because everyone's watching as opposed to what he really does you know give me the check i'll let you know what you've bought in a postcard from rio (laughs) that works every time it works every time it did for me Um, but you don't do that in training because everybody goes, you can't do that. And the person being the customer is either, oh, go on then, I'll have it straight away, or far too hard, and it's not real life. So he turned around and said, I think they can be quite good, at which point I've lost my job. (laughs) So I've then had to backtrack and say, well, obviously, if it's taken seriously, then yes, it can be very useful, but you know, in a controlled environment where everybody takes it the way it should be taken. I've dug my way out yet. And he's dear, you're okay now. Mm. And I can't believe that I I got the job and uh, I started in time to make a mortgage payment and didn't lose my house. Boom. That's close. You got a class, huh? Oh yeah. It was literally on the pile to go to court. Wow. And, uh, yeah. And, and I, I haven't looked back since, um, had some sticky moments there's been times when we've been down to our last hundred pounds but something's always come through and um touch for mica plastic yeah no i think this is real wood, wood. i'm not guessing yeah. i guess we still have some of that here yeah. in america touch real wood um the entrepreneurial way yeah. yeah yeah unfortunately sometimes you win sometimes you lose sometimes it's your fault sometimes it's not but you end up in those positions a lot so at least i, I did three yeah. times three times I, I think the thing is um nothing is ever that difficult don't uh, everybody laughs at me because i always say how hard can it be just do it yeah and don't listen to people when they say oh you can't do that do you know how hard that is? Yeah, man. Fuck those people. Yeah. We were talking before. You had a great question. You said, what did you say? You said. I don't know. I've spoken since then. Blinked. No. Um, do you ever sit down or something like that? Oh, you're, yeah. yeah. Do you, you're always doing something. You're, yeah. There's always something posted. You smoked something or you've put something in a can with smoke. Yeah. <laughs> 
pick some vegetables or or you you're always doing something yeah and i the question was do you ever sit down yeah and, and the answer nothing? generally no except for this podcast to your point that you just made i don't think i'm going to get to the end of my life and wish i had done less and similar to your story i woke up kind of like i've always worked hard yeah. It was never, it was never focused and it was, at, there's a lot, I'll get into that later, but about three, three and a half years ago, um, I realized there was so much more I wanted to do and that I've been living my life for some, for other people Yeah, and I regretted it. Like it just, there was a period of time where I just spent six months on the couch, just immense re- regret and depression. And I was I'm like, you know what? I, f- I fucking wasted like a good third of my life. Yeah. I literally wasted it. And no fucking more. The, and I just got up and I started doing shit. You, when you're younger, you look back at your life and, and someone says, would you change anything? You say, no, I wouldn't change anything. But when you get older, you look back in your life. and Fuck yeah, I would. Yeah, too right, I would. Yeah. If I knew now what I knew then, I would be owning Royal Oak. Yeah, easily. Yeah. yeah. Unfortunately, you can't live your life in reverse. No. But no. I, well, I said at the meeting last night... Um, I don't understand. If you're listening, I'm making an appeal to you. I don't understand how people think they have all this time. I'll do it tomorrow. I'll start tomorrow. Whatever it is that you want to do, whatever your dream is, or as Howard's saying, whatever you love to do, and instead you're stuck doing something you don't love to do. Fuck, dude. Change. Exactly. And why wait? Wait, Like, I'll start Monday. Or the market's not good. Yeah. Or... The market is never good. No. When... uh, when we had our first child, um, my wife at the time said, should we, should we have children? And I'm thinking, shit, I can't pay the £100 a month mortgage. How can we afford kids? We should wait until we can afford kids. Well, we would still be waiting because you never can. But when you have kids, suddenly you can afford them. So the time is never going to be right if you wait for it. But if you do it, you'll find that the time was right. And that's what you have to do. I, I wasted my life, probably 23 years yeah. of my life. Um, that's 20 years as a financial advisor. And the last... Man, that's fucking long. It's like a quarter of a life. Yeah. And the last two years that I worked in the hobby shop, I'll include those in. Um, and, and what I wasted... Uh, or why I wasted it was because I was scared of what people thought of me. And so I was living or trying to be what I thought people would expect me to be or what I wanted to portray to people that I was as opposed to what I really was, which is a stupid bastard that don't really give a shit about anyone. Kind of funny though. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, And when I realized that, what people think of you don't really make any difference. Um, my life changed. And uh, whilst you do care, I, it suddenly occurred to me that I probably care more what people think of me now than I did when I cared what people think of me. Because occasionally I'll find myself thinking, have I been funny enough? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think uh, similar to me, I care more about what certain people think of me now and less about what most people think of me. Yeah. 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 What the world thinks of me, I don't give a shit. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
Yep. I like to tell them you can eat a bowl of dicks. I can give you two servings, maybe three, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, uh, well, that's why I wear this. So my little, my little. Uh, oh, that's too far away to see. Yeah, no, it says there's a good age. chance you won't like me, but an even better chance I won't care. Yes. So, uh, yeah. I, I lead like with that. I yeah. lead with that. I so, like, yeah. I, I'll, I'll put that on Facebook. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'll pretend I wrote it. That's all right. I just put it on there. I don't know who did it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, I appreciate you talking about that. I think, I think a lot of people fall into that trap. I think people go through their whole lives living yeah. somebody else's life, somebody else's expectation or whatever their fear is instead yeah. of whatever they want to do. And I'm not saying quit your job. What I am saying is start doing something. Start now. Well, start doing something. Quitting your job is fine provided you don't just quit your job. Exactly. I hate my job. I'm quitting. That's what they said to do on the podcast. No, that's not what we're saying no. do. Do something else with your life that you enjoy doing. And if you can get paid for doing it, fantastic. Then quit your job. Then quit your job. Yeah. 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 It's like when you say you're going to lose weight tomorrow. Yeah. There's no tomorrow. I am going to lose weight tomorrow because I've eaten dodgy shellfish today. <laughs> you might be losing weight in an hour. <laughs> Give me a minute. So There's no solid waste bill at my house. Um, well, how did you, I mean, when you're going through all that, um, how did you get, you, sorry, it sucks, but you lost one wife. You lost a family. Yeah. And then. Well, I, I lost the wife. The kids stayed with me. Okay. So how did you get a new, I mean, you, obviously you must have changed. Roofies. Roofies. <laughs> Sorry, Sue. <laughs> That's a joke for all you butt hurt people out there. So it would. <laughs> yeah. You gotta say that now because you know the, all the college campuses are triggered bullshit. You know it was it was quite bizarre because um, my my wife left and she left me with the kids and um, she was going through a bad period. I'm not gonna go too much into it but she was going through a bad period and i lost my hair when i was 18 19 20 damn that's pretty young and so i had this little ribbon just around there of dark hair and do you remember um the barbie girl song did you have it over here i'm a barbie girl yeah okay you know, yeah yeah do you remember the guy in that he had that haircut that went Hello, around Bobby, there. let's and go, was, Bobby. Yeah, and it was a beard like that, all in one. That's what my hair looked like without a beard. <laughs> and I looked about 60 or 70. Yeah. And I was walking down the street one day, and you know, out the corner of your eye, you catch a reflection. Well, out the corner of my eye, I caught a reflection of an old man hunched up walking alongside me. And I glanced over to see who it was, and there was no one there. And I realized I'd seen you. myself yeah. in the shop window. And I was absolutely horrified. I was 42 and I looked like an old man. And I went home. I've got no hair. I thought I'm going to shave it off. 40 minutes later, looking like it had been falling out in tufts and the water running cold, I was shivering, shaving the rest of it off. And I looked like a different person. And I could picture myself in my mind, whereas before, the only way I could see myself was by looking at a picture, a photograph of me in my head. So I could imagine a photograph, me in a photo, I could see that. But to picture me sat at, at the desk, now imagine that, I couldn't do it. As soon as I shaved my head and I looked in the mirror, I could imagine myself and picture myself in different situations. And I changed completely. And I suddenly became confident. 
And obviously with these looks <laughs> and confidence, there wasn't a lot that Sue could resist. Exactly. Yeah. Sorry, Sue, you were powerless. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. No, you obviously you liked the way you looked, right? And then, obviously, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I... I, I guess I didn't like how I used to look. Without um, yeah, I would say, it. boy, you really didn't like the way you looked before. Yeah. So, but that was again part, I suppose, of living this life that someone else, or I think someone else, wants me to be like. I don't know. Yeah, it's hard to be a human. It's hard to be a good human. You know, yeah. it, takes, it takes a lot of work to figure out how to be a good human, let alone a happy one. It, right? I, I think it takes a lot to figure out who you are. I think, and and people sometimes think about it too much. Uh, and other people, it, they just fall into it and they are who they are. Well, that's why I like doing things too. I don't, I think experiences are fun and you just do, I'd like doing things that I enjoy. And the more I do them, the happier I am. And yeah. I like things too that help other people too. It's one of the reasons why I like cooking. My wife loves food. It's one of the reasons why I married her. So I never cook like this for myself. No, you wouldn't, would you? No. no. Why would I? You know, I, do stupid shit like boil hot dogs with sweet potatoes and eat that. You know, I did, you know, I came from a trailer park. That's well, how I would eat. Why do you boil them? Don't they come ready cooked? Well, you know, you got to cook the sweet potato. Oh, fair enough. You yeah. That? So I wouldn't eat 15 minutes or less one pot. You know, that's, that's how I would, I, I wouldn't would do have it, eaten the know? sweet potato because that required stuff. <laughs> You're further on the, oh, here, here you go. You'll love this. Uh, Jason, my, my best friend, remember this, but the go to chili Mac, one can of chili. One box of um, mac and cheese. Boom. One pot. I think yeah. it's like all carbs, all fat, all bad for you. And, uh, you, and you no girl it, likes it. No, eat it straight from the pot because there's no washing up there. No it's, plate. You yeah. nailed it right there. Or, With the wooden spoon you use to stir, you don't yeah. even need a fork. Or you put it on the plate and put it in the microwave. And that way you eat it off the plate. <laughs> lick it clean back in the cupboard. Done. The, the few female listeners I have are now horrified, but all the guys know exactly what we're talking yeah, about. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but I enjoy doing these things because she really enjoys them. So then I, I find joy in them. So why not do more of them? Yeah. Why not do more of them? That, that, that's right. I figure I laid around, did nothing else for long enough. Yeah. I'm done. So we got, we got really sidetracked there, but that's okay. That was really interesting. Um, so I, I appreciate you talking I, about that. I used to go dancing a lot, uh, which is why I look like I do now. <laughs> And uh, I met Sue at dancing on the other side of the country from where we lived. Really? And um, we both went to the dance with different people when we met at the dance. And um, we came home and she gave me her phone number, but I couldn't remember it all. So I just remembered where she lived and the last six digits. And so I phoned all the area codes from where she lived with those last six digits and left voicemails on people's telephones Born salesman. <laughs> Cold Hi. calling to find your girl. <laughs> yeah. And, and every message was the same. It said, Hi, I'm Howard. Uh, uh, I'm looking for Sue. Met you in Bournemouth. Uh, if you're Sue, give me a call. If you're not, give me a call anyway. You might <laughs> and, and I left those on everybody's messages. And I, I got one that said, Hi, this is Sue. I'm not in. Leave me a number. I left the same message. But she left her mobile number because back in those days, people had a landline and a mobile or a cell, as you, can, you say. And then I phoned her cell and it was her and we arranged to meet. When she got home, she got my original voicemail that said, if it's not you, give me a call. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. Well, hey, that, that was that. That's a good story. Obviously, she followed you over here. So, yeah. Well, we're a perfect match. 
because I've got two kids and she's got one. So we only need one normal car because you can get three kids in the back. And that's something that you need to plan for if you're going into a second marriage. You want to make sure that the family fits into one normal vehicle. Otherwise, there's no point in going forward. No, that's 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 top of my list, too. Can we all fit into one vehicle? Yeah. Yes or no? Yeah. All right. I'll keep you. That was on the questionnaire (laughs) that she filled in. Yeah. Do you have a questionnaire, too? Obviously. obviously, Yeah. Yeah. Google Sheets. So you're doing all these um, Detroit houses, um, and they start asking you for other services, and you decide to make it a business. Yeah. Let's let's start back there. Um, what kind of services, and how did you make it a business? Let's walk through the whole process. Well, the first things people came to us for was insurance. I can't get insurance anywhere. And we had our own umbrella policy. So we spoke to our provider at the time and said, can we put these other people's properties on as well? And we had to jump through some hoops, but basically they said yes. So we would start putting them on our umbrella policy and we just passed the premium on. So yeah, I'll insure your house for you. It's 20 bucks a month or 50 bucks a month. And they would pass the 50 bucks and we'd pay the thing. Um, and then they would want, I need a new property manager. So we'd pass them on and we get nothing for any of this. And that's how it started. And we then thought, well, why don't we put a package together where we will do an inspection, we'll tell them what it's like, and then we'll pass it to a property manager and we'll charge you $200 or something like that. And and that's how we started. We just made up these things that we thought people would want. And um, people, some people would say, oh, okay, I'll pay you. And other people would say, I'm not paying that. I'll do it myself. We'd say, okay. Go for it. Fine. Yeah. And, uh, and and then they would come back. Invariably, whoever said I'm not paying that would come back. And and that's when we realized that we had something. And, and we gradually structured the business so that we we actually had a, a, a fee scale. Um, we, we worked with an attorney when we first came here who set up our LLC and we became friends with, and he became very ill um, a year or so before we moved out here. And we decided that we were going to take over his resident agent business. He had about a hundred clients and we just started to formalize that um, when he died, unfortunately. And then his dad died as well. And um, so we had these hundred people that were our original client bank and we wrote to everybody saying wonderful news we've formed this new company and this is what's going to happen and probably half of them responded and came on board that's really good actually yeah that's really good numbers yeah Yeah. um i remember our very first paycheck um when we started stateside apm the very first client was not one of those was a different client and uh it was uh 106 dollars was our first uh, first money we took three months after we started. And uh, she's still a client, lives yeah. in France. Excellent. What, because this is going to be confusing for a lot of people, I wish I would have known you back then because I had to do all this fucking shit, right? Yeah. You, nobody starts turnkey. You end up turnkey because you're trying to solve market problems, right? Yeah. yeah. So not only are we trying to find the house at a good deal, 
then fix it up at a good deal, then find the right tenant because I couldn't find the right property management. Yeah. Oh, by the way, they want to do it through an LLC. Let me help you with the LLC. Oh, you need a bank account. Then they change the rules in the bank accounts. You need the lawyer to set up the, but you know, you know all this shit, right? It just cascaded out of control. Yep. And it's a pain in the ass, all of it. So I wish I would have known you back then. That would have been very helpful. But um, walk me through all the different services because people listening, they might not buy a house because they don't know how to do these things, right? And if they knew that somebody could, they might actually buy a house. So the first thing you do when you're buying a house in the USA, you're going to buy it in an entity. Now, typically we talk about LLCs. They're the simplest and the easiest entity to set up. They don't suit everybody uh, every nationality. For example, if you're Canadian, you have to have an LLP because an LLC means you'll be taxed twice, once here in the US, once in Canada. So you you put your property in an entity. We're going to talk about LLCs, but that might not be the one that you end up with. The reason you put it into an LLC is because the Americans are so crazy. Yes. I've broken my finger now. I'm suing you for 20 million. But your lease agreement says you're responsible for your own fingernails. I don't give a shit. <laughs> you I'm can sue still anybody suing for you anything. for 20 million. Hence yeah. a disclaimer at the beginning of this podcast. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so if you own it in your own name, the tenant comes along to his attorney with his broken fingernail and says, I want to sue the owner. And the attorney says, who owns it? Ah, Joe Schmo owns it. He owns it in his own name. That's interesting. What else does Joe Schmo own? Oh, he owns these houses as well. Where's Joe Schmo live? Oh, he lives in Canada. Oh, he's got a $1.2 million home in Canada and three Cadillacs. He's collectible. Let's sue the bastard. And you lose everything. Alternatively, he goes to the attorney again with his broken finger now and he says, who owns it? Fuck off, clever LLC owns it. <laughs> ah, what else does it That's own? what you should have named your company. <laughs> fuck off, clever. <laughs> what else does fuck off, clever LLC own? Yeah. Oh, he's got a bank account with $15 in it and another derelict house in Brightmoor. They're not collectible. Sorry, tenant. Piss off. Yeah. Waste someone else's time. So you own it in an LLC to protect your assets. That's what you do. So to establish an LLC is really easy. To establish it correctly is a bit harder. And a lot of the work we do is correcting the mistakes from people that don't know how to correct it. One of the big things people do is they say, I want an LLC formed in Delaware. Yeah, I don't know why they do that. I want it formed in Delaware because they've got the best protection laws. Yeah. Okay. If you're not in Delaware, it does not apply. Completely pointless. Yeah. Or I want an LLC formed in Nevada. Why? Why? Because you don't pay tax in Nevada. Yeah, right. Which is great, providing you do business in Nevada. And if you don't do business in Nevada, they don't give a shit. You pay tax in the state you do business. If you own a property in a state that pays 20% tax, it makes no no difference where your LLC is registered, you are going to pay 20% tax. You also have to register it in every state where you do business. You own 10 states, one in each, uh, you own 10 houses, one in each state. You have to register your LLC in 10 states. 
That means you have to have a physical presence in each state. That's called a resident agent. That's an agent that's resident. I didn't realize that. I was my own resident <laughs> agent in UK for the first two years. Oops. <laughs> yeah, that does not work. I didn't read resident properly. Yeah. Um, and people don't understand that. And so we make sure that it's set up correctly. We get the tax ID. We give an operating agreement and we make sure it's registered in the states that you need to register. And we act as resident agent in those states as well. If you follow those rules too, um, they can't pierce the corporate veil. If you don't follow those rules, a smart lawyer will pierce the corporate veil, which means they can come after you personally. Yeah. Good incentive to follow those rules. One of the things that you need and people don't realize is you need a bank account in the same name as the entity or the LLC. If you form an LLC and you put the rent into your personal account, you're piercing the corporate veil and you're in effect, the technical term is commingling funds. Yep. And in effect, you're opening up your own personal assets to uh, any action that may be taken against you. So we make sure that everything's established correctly and we've established the correct entity for the country that they live in. Once you've got that and we've sorted out your bank account, bank accounts are really easy to open. There's nothing difficult at all, provided you're American and you live here. If you're not American or you don't live here, or if you're American and don't live here, if you don't live here, full It's a stop, pain in the ass, yeah. <laughs> it's like giving birth to a pineapple backwards type pain in the ass. <laughs> it's, um, it's almost impossible. The, um, the pendulum for um, uh, um, compliance is swinging towards the can't open a bank account unless you leave me your firstborn, preferably with the placenta. Yeah, I want to make sure it's yours. <laughs> yeah, and so it's really difficult. Um, we've managed to work with a small bank. Um, we've got to board level, which is a great thing of having a small bank. And we uh, we managed to open bank accounts for clients without the need for them to visit the US. We go through a strict... Uh, procedure to do so and it's time consuming um, and it can be costly because we have to ups forms backwards and forwards we've got time constraints we have to meet but we're able to open bank accounts it's in the client's name we have uh, online access or they have online access debit cards they can have paper checks if they want it's a normal bank account cheaper than a plane ticket though right cheaper than a plane yeah. ticket yeah yeah that's yeah. the important Far part plane ticket, yeah. and cheaper than time off work and time away from family and all that jazz exactly yeah, yeah. yeah. so we've done that um we will do an independent inspection so that we can tell you what your house looks like we can tell you that you bought the house that you thought you'd bought or not as the case may be um, we're not licensed. It's just our opinion on the property. So we will grade it one out of 10. We'll grade the block one out of 10 and we'll walk through, take hundred photographs or so, sometimes a video. And, um, you get that re- report if you want an inspection. We do administration for them. So we'll pay property taxes. We get utilities turned on and off. Um, most overseas investors don't realize that they are responsible for the property tax because in 
civilized countries around the world, <laughs> the person responsible is the person living in the property. In the same way that in civilized countries, the person responsible for the utilities is the person that actually uses them, particularly water. This is a weird Michigan thing. I don't know why it's that way here. It's strange. So we are very often, for our clients, um, paying back taxes, sorting out the paperwork so that the city knows who the owner is and where to send the bill to, and educating them on what owning a property means. So we're doing a lot of paying bills, um, getting paperwork done, filing property transfer affidavits, making sure deeds are correct rearranging portfolios. So if you own it in your own name, it's not too late. We can establish an entity for you, move the property from personal ownership into the ownership of the LLC. And it's a bit like the old Remington razor advert. I liked it so much. I bought the company. <laughs> you own the company that owns the house. Yeah. And um, we do an awful lot of that. Um, we help a lot of people with property management. So, um, the, the way people normally find a property manager when they're overseas is to Google property management Detroit and go onto Yelp or the yellow pages and pick one. And that's a bad way. That's how they do it. Or occasionally they get recommended to one by a friend. And every person, every property manager I've found has their own personality. And sometimes you get on with someone and sometimes you don't. And to recommend my best friend to you because he's my best friend means you could hate him. And yeah. It's not know. empirical either, right? It's just, yeah. I like them. Here you go. Yeah. So, um, we've, we've found earlier on that, um, if you have property managers with different personalities, you can put different people with them. So we, Worked closely, um, we now work closely with um, three property managers we always have done, and they have different personalities, and they suit different people. So we've got one guy that has his method. He works the way he works. He's done it for 20-odd years. It works, and that's how we're going to do it. And if you want to do it his way, he's a great property manager. If you want to do it your way, go somewhere else. Um, so he's good for people that have had lots of ups and downs. I don't know where I am. I just want some stability. I want to know my tenants there. I'm going to pay the rent. And he's good for them. Steady Eddie. And then we've got a, some young kids. They're new on the scene. They've got ideas. They, they do it differently. And they're the young bucks. And they're for people that, you know, I just want to get up and go. I want to make this thing happen. And then we've got the... The people that are a bit in the middle, they're action-packed. They, they, they will. Um, they won't wait for things to happen. They're proactive. They'll, they'll go and get it done. And so we can place the client with the property manager that suits them best. That makes a lot of sense, actually. But having done that, um, we know the property managers that we work with are honest and trustworthy. However. You put two clients with them. One of them will say, thank God, that is the best. I'm, I'm so glad you've done that. You've saved my investment. I'm making money. Thank you very much. Have my children. And then the other client says, that bastard, 
He's a thief, a con man. He's stolen everything from me. I'll never get my rent. He's lying. And neither of them are right. They, he's an honest guy. He's doing a good job. And you just happen to get on with him and you still don't trust him. And you always find that. And so you have to be open to that and then you move them somewhere else. Yeah, it's pretty thankless. Referrals can be thankless. Yeah. You know? Yeah. So, um, we do that. The other thing people don't realize is you have to file a tax return to the IRS every year, regardless of whether you've made any money. I know it's crazy, but you still have to fill a bit of paper in and say zero because otherwise they get angry. And so we have a CPA um, and they file, uh, we file tax returns, uh, both IRS, city and state, and we can file wherever they own real estate. Um, we do, uh, we get ITIN numbers for clients. Um, we work with an acceptance agent that doesn't require that's individual tax identification number for those listening. So when you do business here in the U S you obviously have to pay income tax to the IRS or at least file a return. And so you have a tax ID number just as you would in your own country. The difference is you have a tax ID for your entity or LLC, but you also have a personal tax ID, which is the ITIN. The business one is an EIN or an employer identification number. And um, you need two separate ones and you have to apply for them separately. And you need the I-10 to get the EIN, which I always thought was funny. but Well, yeah. no, you don't, actually. You don't? No, you, you don't. You had to when I was doing it. Um, the EIN is completely separate. You have to apply for it a particular way to get it correct, but they're reasonably easy. They take about two weeks to obtain. The I-10 you need to be able to claim the allowances. So like in most countries around the world, you're allowed to earn a certain amount before you pay any tax depending on whether it's city allowance or federal allowance, it's a different amount. It's somewhere between two and a half and three and a half thousand. Um, and you can claim that. So if you, if you make 4,000 and the allowance is three and a half, you're only going to be taxed on the 500 because you've got that allowance provided you have an ITIN. If you don't have an ITIN, you won't get the allowance. You'll be taxed on the full amount. So you have to get an ITIN to obtain an ITIN. Very simple. You complete a W-7 form and send it off to the IRS together with your passport, the original. Yeah, that never goes wrong. (laughs) Never, never. No, no. The IRS will keep it for 8 to 12 weeks, Yeah. at which point you'll write and ask them where it is, and at which point they'll write back and say they've lost it. Not often, but they do. But either way, you're without a passport for three to four months. Um, we're working with somebody who obtains them without the requirement for sending a passport. So it still takes the three or four months to get the IT in, but you keep your passport. Yeah. Um, so we do that. Um, I try to think, what else do we do? We've got a notary. We do quick claim deeds. Um, we, um, all kinds of shit, really. Yeah. Whatever we, pops up. Yeah. Almost whatever whatever anybody needs um we do we have different levels of service so some things um some clients we would bill on an individual basis other clients would have an all-in price 
Uh, we often find that the clients start off with our standard service, which has a menu of items that's included, and then upgrade to our premium service um, nine or ten months down the line when they're fed up getting billed for the things that you really want us to do. And then it's included. So we have different levels of service depending on what the clients want. Um, we uh, The other things we do is we manufacture security systems to help prevent... <clears throat> Well, I'm going dry. Yeah, that's all right. Have a drink of water. I like how you put it. Um, if you don't mind, if I, I won't steal your line. I'll let you do it. It's such a good line. I was going to steal it, and I'm like, that's a shit move. Go ahead. Oh, well, my... Uh, yeah. Well, I probably stole it from someone else. Not me, though, so, I, you know. Some, somebody said I'm a plagiarist, but I'm not saying who. Um, the Yes, we manufacture security systems. I forgot where I was. I blinked. Um, to help prevent the overzealous recycling <laughs> that the environmentally aware citizens of Detroit are particularly partial to. Yes. Uh, they um, like copper a lot. Yes. They have a penchant for <laughs> furnaces and hot water tanks they in do. particular. Yeah. And um, what they will do is they will go into a property that they perceive to be vacant and – remove the items and redistribute them to needy members of society <laughs> in exchange, generally speaking, for green things. Small sums of cash. It's for the people, by the people, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so I got fed up buying my furnace back, having had it liberated. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> um, and so I designed uh, what we call Furnace Guard, which is um, – a fuck off big bracket that bolts it to the floor. And it's, it's not the bracket and it's not the bolt that makes it what it is. It's the unique nut that is a one way nut. There's no special spanner. There's no secret bit that you can only, I know where to get it from. It's not that once you put it on, you tie it up, the hexagonal bit snaps off and you're left with just a smooth cone that there's no grip on. And you can't remove it. It's permanent. If the furnace packs up, sell the house. Yeah, you're going to cut or you're yeah. going to cut it out. Yeah, yeah. You, you're cutting it out. That's, Get the metal grinder. Yeah. Which your average recycler usually does not have a portable angle grinder. No, you know. typically the recycler is going recycling with a hammer and a screwdriver yeah. because that's what you need to enter the house. You can then pull the furnace out and the hot water tank and leave. Um, you need more than that if you fitted furnace guard or tank guard, which is the same system, but it fits your hot water system to the floor. Um, and then to prevent them getting in, we've got lock guard, which prevents the door being kicked in. And we've got some videos on YouTube. If you look under sure guard, door guard, or sure guard, lock guard, there's Send me the links and I'll put it in the show notes for people. Okay? I'll show you the links. Yeah. Or look at the Shoreguard Facebook page. They're on there. Or the Shoreguard website, which is shore-guard.co. That's S-U-R-E hyphen G-U-A-R-D dot, dot C-O. Yeah. If only I wasn't dyslexic, I'd be fine. Yeah. And hopefully that's the right website or they're too bad. <laughs> yeah. If it's not the right website, I'm sure they do good products too. Yeah. <laughs> I'll, I will put these links in the show notes, folks. Um, and uh, 
we we've uh, the the video shows Lockguard fitted to a hundred and sixty dollar Home Depot door, cheapest door I could find, and we have a an ex Navy SEAL I think trying to kick it in and then attacking it with a sledgehammer, <laughs> um, and then hurting his shoulder. Yeah, that's that's a way it'll do it. Yeah. Um, so uh, you can protect your home. You can um, keep your stuff. Uh, you just have to be responsible about it. Um, and it's like lock guard is 50 bucks unless the price goes up for demand. I may sell it to a pharmaceutical company, actually. You should. Who can quadruple the price. Sell out for as much as you can. That's, I, uh, well, pharmaceutical. Don't sell out cheap, though. Who's That's, Uber EpiPen? I'll sell it to them. I can't remember who did that. Yeah. The, the, but the, the problem with selling out is when people sell out cheap, so don't sell out cheap. No, no, no. Sell out for such a fuckload of money that everybody went, well, yeah, of course, right? Like, yeah, why not, right? That, well, the, that was the idea of forming um, sure, um, SureGuard, was um, to uh, sell it to Ryobi or Stanley hmm. and retire on an island somewhere. Which island? Do you have it picked out yet? No. No? No, the, the <laughs> island literally just came into my head. Yeah, just right now. <laughs> I dig, if you dig a moat and fill it with water, you could be living on an island right now. I could do. I yeah. could do, yeah. Yeah. That's probably the easiest way of doing it. Okay. Yeah. So what about, do you do anything about the windows, or do you board them up, or how do you handle we, windows? We do. We have a system that is um, for replacement windows. So if you're taking out old wood and putting vinyl in, we have a system that um, – you attach to the window frame before you install it. And they're little brackets that are white, the same as the window. And when the window's in, it looks like a normal window. When the house is occupied, it opens and closes, and it's a normal window. When it becomes vacant, or if you live in Kansas and there's a storm, and you want to secure the property, you then put boards in front of the window, and the brackets come with other brackets <laughs> that clip into the brackets and attach on the inside. So it's difficult to explain verbally. So I'll wave my hands about for the video. Yeah. Um, but it's secured on the inside. So you can't remove the, there's nothing to undo on the outside. And once you've secured it, you then slide the window shut and the house is secured. You can't remove it. And, um, Typically, it would take about 40 minutes to secure a property. And um, if it's a tornado coming, then you obviously your windows aren't going to get blown out by the tornado because you've secured it. The house will blow away, but at least the windows can't get broken. But you have to install it before you replace the windows. Or take the windows out okay. and then put them back in. Yeah, we are prototyping one for existing windows. Yeah, it seems like that'd be a lot of houses, right? More houses. Yeah. yeah. Um, At least now. Because a lot of them have been rehabbed and they yeah. might have been stripped, but they generally, at least at this point in time, leave the windows. Most of the time they, they leave the windows. Yeah. yeah. Not yeah. always. And by the way, not back in 2008, 2009, they used to strip houses. They would strip a house. Yeah. Completely. Windows, toilet. Like, yeah. There yeah. was nothing left. I, I've so. never worked out what the recycle value of I know. A what the fuck is. are they doing? The doors? I, I have with, no idea. The trim. I'm like, what'd you do with the trim? Yeah. It's crazy. I'm making kindling. Yeah. I, get, I, I have a kindling factory. It seems like it'd be easier to go cut down a tree, but Jesus. Yeah. That means leaving the city and it's dangerous out there. <laughs> That's true. In the wild. All those white people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. What about, so you have a system you're working on for windows that are existing so they don't have yeah. to remove them. Yes. Yeah, okay. so you don't have to remove them. Yet. Yeah. 
and we're trying to get it so that you can still shut the window. Because the the problem you've got with the existing systems is you have to leave the window. Open. You have to leave the windows yeah. open because bolts go through it to to hold it in. And if you've not got bolts going through it to hold it in, you've just got it screwed to the frame. All you're doing is making holes in the frame for when someone rips it off. So um, we're trying to get it so that you can still secure the property against the elements, which is the biggest issue here in Detroit. Yeah, especially the winter. You don't want your house to go vacant and be cold. That's so hard on your paint, your carp, everything. Yeah. Just really hard on the house. People don't realize the extremes that we have here. Um they, they, oh yeah, you have hot summers. Oh yeah, you have cold winters. They don't realize it's a hundred degrees in the summer and minus 28. Yeah, exactly. And they don't understand what that means. And for you in Europe, a hundred Fahrenheit, uh, a minus 28 Fahrenheit is, um, if I can convert that to fucking hot <laughs> and unbelievably cold. Yeah, the cold here, that's that's the real. I don't mind the heat as much, but man. Yeah. Um that Sta- cold. Stab yourself in the face with a fork. <laughs> that's how cold it is in the winter. That's hilarious. <laughs> don't stab yourself in the face with a fork, you fucks. <laughs> Skip that part. But yeah, that's what it feels like. I remember, do you remember you were here 3 years ago yeah. when it was I think with the wind chill it was negative forty seven degrees. Yeah. I'm like, how is that? That's like some fucking Alaska shit, you know. My kids arrived uh, on the Saturday before the ice storm. We had one day of power, then we had no power, nothing at all. <laughs> Welcome to Michigan. <laughs> and uh, we, we live in in the country. We're on a well. We had no water. Um, we obviously no heating, no electricity, nothing. And there was explosions. All the time, and it was the trees exploding from yeah, the cold. From being frozen, yeah, the water expands and the trees explode. Yeah, yeah. and we, we, our office at the time was about four miles away, and so we would go to the office that had power, because that was in the town, and we would go to the office and uh, have a wash, go to the toilet, have a cup of tea, and then go out. And then we'd come home, get ready for bed, and then go home to bed. And uh, we had it for... I think four days, no power. You got power back on Christmas Eve or the day before Christmas Eve. And uh, it was really exciting because mm. in England we have what's called constant power. And um, <laughs> <laughs> power cuts um, are words that aren't often strung together in England. It doesn't happen. Yeah. For some reason here, and I'll never figure this out, this is, seems to be universal, they just let trees grow near power lines anywhere. Like they literally don't give a fuck. They well, wait for the tree to fall on the power line and then they come out and address the problem. Now, if you can imagine a state full of trees and then high winds, high snow, yeah. ice storm, exploding trees, sometimes it takes them a couple of weeks to go and cut down all the. Yeah. I, and we're talking about people working around the clock. Yeah, they do. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Sometimes I, I know some of these guys, they work for three or four days before they get a break. So they're not being lazy. It's just a lot of trees on lines. You wake up at three in the morning to see the, this yellow flashing light in the room. You think, fuck, aliens. <laughs> and it's DTE fixing a power line. How would they? How, so why, why yellow? Why, how, maybe the aliens come with a pink light, you know? I, I don't know. You don't know? <laughs> don't, because they're not 
gay like aliens. Yeah. They're, like <laughs> they're, they're probably transsexual, which is why it's a yellow light as opposed to a pink or a blue one. I saw in Stargate they clone themselves. I'm pretty sure that's how they do it. Right? Ah. If I saw it on TV, it's true. So Why won't that be so disappointing when we clone ourselves? <laughs> I am not going to do it. I refuse. Instead of having sex. Yeah, I'm going to do it the old-fashioned way. What do they call them? God babies? So, nah. nah what... Does the future hold for Howard Sue and stateside APM? Well, who knows? Um, we've been going three years. Um, uh, we are we started with our fifty or so clients that responded slowly through the year. Um, we now have clients in thirty six countries around the world. Look after some around two thousand properties currently negotiating with people to probably bring in another thousand properties from different sources, property managers and individuals. Um, we are looking to expand our products. Uh, so we currently have hazard and liability or building and liability insurance, some of the cheapest rates in the country. Um, we have our own home warranty program which is like a maintenance contract for the property. So when things break down, uh, you, uh, your maintenance guy will come and fix them, but the insurance company will pay. Uh, we're looking at expanding into a, a rent default product. Um, we're looking at um, um, some kind of memory pill. That's okay. <laughs> this rent default product, how close are you to that? I'm not curious. We were quite close. Okay. Um, but then someone backed out. And so we are back to square one ish, mm. probably one and a half again. Um, but, uh, it's something that we're hopeful of. And, um, uh, if the person who backed out is watching this, come back. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. Please. Um, we, uh, we, we've formed a, a new company, uh, recently with some partners to help bring the rental properties into compliance with the city, um, which has always been a requirement, but has never been enforced. Well, it wasn't possible either. I tried. I tried for a year to do it. I remember when I first moved here, I tried to pull permits. I tried to get a certificate of occupancy. It just, it just couldn't be done. Yeah. They, they literally wouldn't do it, you know? So well, they probably didn't know what to do. I'm not surprised. <laughs> and the, the great thing that we've discovered about America is nobody will actually make a decision. Mm. They will always defer it so that somebody else has to make the decision. And if there's enough people in the department, you'll never get a decision made. You really, your best bet is to try and do things where there's a department of only one or two people. Mm because it can't be deferred to anybody else and you will get something done. <laughs> it might not be what you want. Yeah, but you'll but get it done. At least it will be done. So, you know, I'm now licensed to knit because there's only one person in the knitting permit department. <laughs> um, but I'm not licensed for anything else because there's too many people and my application is being passed from desk to desk. To your point, though, they are starting to enforce these things. Very much so. Yeah. It is really scary. It's a new day in Detroit. Yeah. The um, the city has woken up to the fact that there are 136,000 rental properties in Detroit and 2,400 registered. They are losing $150 a 
for every rental property that's not registered. They're 20 million bucks a year. And so some number cruncher has suddenly gone, holy fuck, think of the bribes I could get yeah. <laughs> if only we got these people registered. This is exactly how I feel about government, by the way. And uh, so now they are enforcing rental registration. And the first thing you know about that as a landlord is the $1,000 citation or fine for people that don't know what the word citation means. Or you could find out at a most inopportune time in eviction court, right? Yes. If they ask. So either way, you're, they're catching with the pants down. Yeah. yeah. So if you, if you don't have a property registered and you don't have a certificate of compliance, then technically you can't evict because you don't have a legal property. Therefore, you can't have a legal tenancy. Therefore, how can you have a tenant? And therefore, we're not going to evict, which the courts are doing sometimes. And um, if you're not compliant, we are also going to fine you. And if you do nothing, the first one's a 1,000, the second one's three, the next one's six, the fourth and maximum's $12,000. We've not seen any more than a 1,000 yet because people are responding. So we formed a company called Detroit Compliance Company. Um, we were toying about with names. I've got two partners. I'm British. One of the partners, Tim, is an ex-Detroit inspector. He's Irish extraction. Nathan, the attorney. We won't hold that against him. Is German extraction. So we were toying with, I don't know, well, let's bring our nationalities. We're world and wide. So we've got British, Irish, and German, Detroit, Certificate of Compliance. It's all a bit too big. So we abbreviate it to big Detroit Certificate of Compliance. That wasn't so good. So we've, we've shut it right down to big Detroit cock. <laughs> but apparently that was still a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> So we've gone for just Detroit Compliance Company. I would. That's a good choice, I think. Yeah. Dot com. Dot com. <laughs> Dot clock. Yeah. New so. domain. <laughs> <laughs> no. Dot com. I'm just fucking fucking around with you guys. Sorry. Yeah. And uh, and we have a range of products, but the main ones are to bring vacant property into line with city ordinances or occupied property into line with city ordinances. Plans include lead hazard inspections, city inspections. We do pre-inspections to make sure when the guy from the city comes down, it passes without the need to pay a bribe. Yeah. Also, um, if you have a property and it's rented to Section 8, you'll run into very similar, different process, but similar standards and procedures. Yeah. So, And they're going to ask about it now as well. So that's a good time to get in that because they're going – the next, I imagine the next three years, they're going to get really hot and heavy on that. Well, stuff. we're hearing January is a deadline for a lot of stuff. Um, water department also, depending on who you see, is not doing water turn ons or water affidavit without uh, rental registration. Ooh, that would be a big one. Sometimes you can just go and get the rental registration. And sometimes they want a certificate of compliance. It depends who you see. Other times you'll go in and just say, turn the water on, mate. And the guy says, all right, yeah, no problem. There you go. It's on. Yeah, it depends on who you get. Yeah. 
Yeah. I, I have to go down to the office. Do you go down? I saw you post. Your, Absolutely. Yeah, man, those fuckers. Oh, yeah. They won't, they won't do anything unless you're physically there. Yeah. Get and, them on the phone. It's just fucking impossible. No, and don't question anything either. Yeah. I've, been, I've been escorted by armed security guards from Detroit Water and Sewerage twice. Really? Yeah, me. Me. Come on. I, I am I'm tricky. You're apparently you're terrifying, Howard. You're you're threatening them with I, do I, your fucking job. <laughs> I was questioning. I was questioning. I had a bill for five and a half thousand dollars for water that had accrued over a two month period. That seems difficult to believe. I thought so too. Yeah. But apparently the computer said it was five and a half thousand, therefore it must be true. So I questioned what's your water pressure? The audacity, Howard. What do you mean? Well, what are the flow rates and what are your pressure? The bill's five and a half grand. Pay it or you don't get it turned on. All I'm questioning is, is it possible for 146,000 gallons of water (laughs) to pass through your pipe in a month period for it to accrue that amount? Well, $1,600 of that is for the solid waste. What fucking solid waste? (laughs) The drains are blocked, which is why it's vacant. The water's not gone down the drain. It's soaked through the floor. (laughs) Or evaporated, which is why it's black mold, which is why pulling the house down, I'm not paying the five and a half grand bill. And um, I I was escorted before I actually got to that bit. It was when I questioned (laughs) the... Can 146,000 gallons get down the, physically get down the That pipe? seems like an excellent question. That's why they had you like, well, just, yeah. no, probably not. Well, no. she didn't even answer. She just said, security, can you escort Mr. Jennings from the premises? Mm-hmm. And this guy came up to me and he stood about three feet away from me, hands on hips. And he was, I don't know, six foot six tall everywhere. And I said, I'm only asking question. And he then took one pace forward. And so he was standing right in front of me, and I was looking at his nipples. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, okay, we'll leave. Yeah. And it's, it's, I'm you, coming back tomorrow and answering the same question, bitch. All right. Well, yeah. I would have done if I had four hours to spend in yeah. the queue. But that's the other thing. You know, you have eight people, or, or you don't. If you had eight people, it would be a lot. You have five or six people dealing with clients, and you've got queues, you know, halfway down Randolph. And they won't pick up the phone. You used to be able to send an email. But two and a half years ago, the email started bouncing back. Inbox full. Well, I, I can't make this shit up. Yeah. Inbox full. And it's bouncing back. So you can't even do that anymore. You, you literally, most of the time, either you get lucky and they pick up, which is almost never, or you have to drive down and do it. Well, I, I phoned um, maybe three or four weeks ago now. I remember your Facebook post. That's why I asked. It was fucking hilarious. I you feel on, my pain. I was on hold for four <laughs> hours. And at some point during that time, someone answered the phone. On accident, I'm sure. And hung up. <laughs> so I thought, fuck this. Yeah. I'm going to write and complain. So I searched the website for contact information. There is none. They do that on purpose. They no don't want any complaints. Yeah. There. So I look on the government website, Detroit City website, and there's a list of head honchos that run the different departments. And you can tell how successful they are by how smart they look because that's obviously how big the bribes are they're taking. <laughs> and um, is this slanderous or libelous? No, in America, that's a good thing about America. 
I can say that. Yeah, it's not like England. Fantastic. You, you can literally, pr- you can practically make up shit about someone. It, it's fine. They call it free speech, so you're good to go. Okay. I'm yeah. sure. I'm sure they don't take bribes, and I'm being really bad when I say that. But anyway, um, you get the. It says John Smith, treasurer. It's not his name, but I can't remember it now. He's changed. Um, phone number, email address, head of prison security. Phone number, email address. This is. A, school my kids go to (laughs) you've got information on everybody joe schmo head of water department nothing so i wrote an email to the financial controller and i started the email saying could you please pass this on to joe schmo head of water department because not surprisingly there's no contact information for him and i need to get this complaint to him and then i wrote my email i've not had any response I was surprised, really, because I started with. (laughs) Gee, I wonder what. I don't know why I'm wasting my time writing to you. You'll only ignore it or pass it on to one of your staff to ignore for you. (laughs) Now, I don't know whether he's ignored it or he's got efficient staff who are ignoring it, but they have done that. They've lived up to my expectation. They might even auto-ignore it, you know? It might be automated uh, to ignore yeah. it. Technology's great. I, I did also put something in along the lines of it's easier to be answered by Jesus himself than it is by <laughs> one of your employees. Um, might have something to do with it. Yeah, yeah possibly. Um, mm. But I, 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 strangely enough, I did hear from Jesus the other day. <laughs> so... Uh, yeah, I, I have. You said it was all a cruel joke. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry about it. Live your life. <laughs> well, I, I, I've got to say, I did. I have found Jesus. I have. I have found Jesus recently. He was in the trunk of the car when I got back from Tijuana. Yeah. <laughs> You'll mow your lawn for 20 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> there you go, folks. I can't understand why Mary and Joseph gave their son a Puerto Rican name. Yeah. That's a good question. Yeah. I feel your pain about the water department and that's never going to end. And and people won't even believe it when they listen to it. Just go to Detroit water department and call them if you're bored. Just give yeah. them a call. See yeah. what happens. It, it, it's unbelievable. It yeah. really is. It's worth hiring you just to, get, to do that shit. That's, <laughs> you almost need to hire somebody to go down there and just hang out down there trying to get shit done. Well, and, and the really annoying thing is if you send somebody else, you have to give them a power of attorney Yeah, with ID and, and blood and stuff. It's absolutely crazy. All they need to do is change the law so that the person using it is responsible. That'll take care of it. Pretty simple. And that way, guess what? You won't lose your house because you didn't pay the $50 water bill that you didn't know was there. Yep. That was added to your winter tax. They do that all the time. They'll roll your water bill onto your taxes to get it paid. That's why I think they did it. Yeah, which you didn't know. Because you'd paid the $400 winter tax and you didn't know it was 450 And suddenly your house is in foreclosure for the $50 bill you didn't pay three years ago. And you've lost your house because of someone else's water usage. But nobody can see that's wrong. Yeah. I was hoping that when the bankruptcy happened that they were going to sell the water. I was fine with higher prices even if they sold to Wall Street if, if it would just work. At that point, double my rates, fine. Double it, and can I get a final water bill read in a day or less? Like, that would be yeah. awesome. I'd be willing yeah. to pay for that. Yeah. No such luck. No. Nah. And I thought with transferring it to the Greater Water Authority, maybe there'd be more accountability, and uh, no such luck. Well, the, the, 
the way we do it in England is we have a company that owns the pipe and then several companies that put the water in it. Now, the company that owns the pipe has to rent it to anybody at the same price. So they can't say, you can have it for $10, but Fred, who's given them a backhander, can have it for 9 Can't do that. Everybody has to pay the same. So you then buy your water from anybody you want who's chucking water in the pipe. doesn't matter that it's, you actually might be getting water from someone else. You pay your bill to – I pay my bill to Flint Water because – Flint Water Company supplies Detroit as well through Detroit's pipes. If Flint Water do it more efficiently, their water is going to be cheaper than Detroit Water who do it inefficiently. Yeah. And so I can choose where to go to. And what that does is it creates true competition. I think it's a true capitalist market where you have choice and that choice dictates the quality of the company because if you do a bad job, I'm going to go somewhere else. Therefore, you're going to do a better job to keep my custom and price is going to be down. What you have here is a single market where I have no choice where to get my water from. I have to get it from Detroit Water and Sewage. They can charge me what they like and they can offer as bad a service as they like because if I don't like it, I've got a simple solution. There's nothing is, you can do about it. Don't have water. Well, you can't not have water. Oh, can you? No. Oh. Yeah. If you, you, if you don't can, have water, they can condemn your house. So you, literally there's nothing you can do. Can I not have water if I have a, a, no, a no water permit? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is why I'd like them to privatize the water department instead of keeping it government controlled and no such luck. The other thing we had, um, when it was like it is here, we had an independent ombudsman that would police the company so the company uh, they were answerable to nobody so if they said to the company you're charging too much they had to charge less and if it meant they they weren't profitable they had to become profitable and so um and, and presumably they got paid so much that bribes didn't work so they and that's how we controlled it when we had monopolies as you have here it works better in other places detroit is very backwards yeah i if they just fired everybody and hired new people it probably would work that would be my guess the trouble is they say you can't do that i don't understand that fire them all yeah i mean there's there's lots of things that you should scrap and start from the beginning absolutely but good lord but you can't Uh, don't don't get me wrong um england is just as bad in different ways it's not um you know, there's nobody, there's nowhere perfect, obviously, apart from us. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not perfect. Oh, you are. Oh, no. Oh, I, I, no. I read it on the back of a toilet door. Yeah. <laughs> that wasn't Jeremy. That was Jeremy. Yeah. Oh, Jeremy. Jeremy. Ah. I was the other guy. <laughs> that was the other guy. Is there anything that you want to talk about that we haven't talked about? Well, now's the opportunity for that. I I think a lot of people um, don't take their investments seriously. I would agree with that. They almost treat it as a an afterthought, and they think cheap house, cheap everything else. 
they don't realise that the cost of the house has plummeted, but drywall hasn't. That's the same price as it was. Sun up. Yeah, paint, lumber or wood, as we call it, Mm. Um, labour. They're all the same or more as they were when house prices were 120 grand. So the fact you've paid 10 or 15 grand for your house and you've got to pay 20 grand to get it up to standard, it's not crazy. It's the real world. And you need to face up to reality that if you, if you didn't get your house cheap, you would be 60 grand in. Yeah. Not 40 grand in to have a sensible home. And even though you're 30 or 40 grand in, you still have a house that is um, using um, real estate language fucking cheap. And you're still going to get a fantastic return on it if you do it properly. If you do it cheap, you will end up always paying money and always having a bad investment. You have to do it properly. And one of the things we try and encourage is responsible ownership. Do it right. Get it rehab properly. Don't be a slum lord, landlord. That's an excellent point. I think a lot of people, um, when they're buying these cheap houses, they treat it almost like gambling. Yeah. I'll put 40 on black six or whatever, right? And they think that's all they have to do. Yeah. When there's constantly shit that has to be done, just like an investment anywhere else in the world, right? Exactly. Just like anywhere else in the world. Yeah. I spoke to somebody once who was complaining that his property wasn't performing. And I said, when did you see it last? I've never seen it. I said, why not? He said, well, I was offered the chance to come and view it when I bought it. The company were doing trips, but it would have cost me $1,000 to come out and see it. And that would have meant instead of paying 35000 for it, I'd have paid 36000 for it. And that would have reduced my ROI. And I'm buying in Detroit for a large ROI. And I said, well, okay, so you haven't seen it because you didn't want to reduce your ROI. What's your ROI now? Yeah, boom. It's zero. Mic drop. Probably because you didn't see it. Yeah. Because if you had seen it, you would have realized what you were buying wasn't actually the photos that they sent you. And then maybe you'd have bought somewhere else or not bought at all. I don't know what happened to him. He didn't like the truth and we haven't done business with him. That's funny. He's like, oh, no, you could actually fix this problem. He's like, no, I don't want that. Yeah. You're going to ruin my nothing ROI. Yeah. That happened all the time. It amazed me that people would buy houses without coming over and looking at them. I always encourage people to come look at them. They never did. Yeah. They never did. I, I could never understand it. When we were living in the UK, we first started to sell homes. I can remember you, you go around to someone and, you show them two homes and they say, oh, yeah, definitely want to. Which one do you want? And they say, I need to think about it. Now they're buying the, the equivalent of a car. That's what they're paying. So, okay, I'll leave it with you. I'll come back in a week or so. And you go back and you say, okay, have you thought about it? what do you want? And you go, uh, I have that one. They've not thought about it at all. What they've done is they can't show that they're, um, in, impulsive, uh, they have to show that they consider these things. And so I'm pretending to you know, come back in two weeks. I'll think about it because when you buy a car, you don't walk down the street and think, Oh, there's a car showroom. Oh, let's go. Oh, I like that. 
I'll have that. You don't do that. You kick the wheels, you go away, you have a think about it. The guy does a deal for you. You think, oh, yeah. You drive it. Yeah. Maybe you get online, you look at uh, some maintenance. Re- yeah. Some reviews. Yeah. What's it going to cost to run? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Maintenance. What maintenance do I need to do? What's the garage like that's going to look after it for me? Yeah. And then a couple of weeks or so later, you buy it. And that's what they feel they need to do on the thought side, not on the research side. So you've left you're no longer in their thoughts. You've come back. I've got to make a decision. I'll have that one. Are you sure you want that one with no windows? Would you rather have the one with the windows? Same price. Oh, uh, yeah, okay. I'll have that one. Didn't know that didn't have windows. Well, it doesn't. It's the same, but it shows how much you're paying attention. Yeah, you're not paying attention no, at all. Don't, don't, don't. They yeah. just heard it was a good thing to do, so they've done it. Now, that's not in every case, but more often than not, we see people have put their last penny everything they own into buying the house with no reserve to have nothing to um go. don't do that by the way don't do that don't put all your money into that no. house come on i would rather not sell somebody a house yes than you know it it's 35 grand will you take 34,997 i don't quite have the last no nah, sorry mate yeah not going to work no if you don't have a reserve for when it goes wrong don't buy it when it goes wrong, because at some point, it absolutely is. Well, it might not, because not everyone does. But you're better off having a reserve in 10 years' time thinking, fuck it, I could have bought a bigger house, than not having it. And in two years' time, thinking, I wish I'd had that reserve, because now my house is empty and I can't afford to rehab it. Yep. Which is what we see so often. Well, it happens a lot. At some point in time, something bad is going to go. It yeah. might be small or it might be big, but yeah, you need a cash reserve. Yeah. The other thing we do a lot for people is uh, work with the Detroit Land Bank. Um, a lot of these vacant homes where people can't afford to rehab it or they don't know the condition of it because the property manager stopped responding. Um, they get tagged by the land bank and the land bank then want to foreclose on them take possession of them and sell them to people that they believe are going to rehab them and occupy them. And um, a lot of our clients find themselves in the position where the Detroit Land Bank has already started the process and we then have to negotiate with them to get the house back and to stop the foreclosure. And we find ourselves doing that an awful lot. And that's going to be more and more into the future, I think. Yeah. They're just going to pick up steam. So Well, they've been concentrating in certain pockets to see how it goes. And they're now getting to the point where they're going to go out through the town. They're they're concentrating on the areas where they want people to live. So if you've got, if you own property on one of these derelict streets and you're one of the many vacant ones on a street where no one lives, you're not going to get taxed. Yeah. You're probably going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. But if you own a vacant house on a nice street, you will get tagged. Yeah. You're going to get tagged. More and more too. Yeah, yeah. And I know it's happening more and more. It's just going to keep going up. Yeah, yeah. We had a, a client who um, it took us a, a year to negotiate the buyback from Land Bank. That's crazy. Yeah, and he had to buy his own house back. Yeah, fuck that guy. <laughs> I hate the Land Bank. All right, man. Is there anything else you want to talk about? Uh, no, uh, I, I've probably covered more than... I should have done. Man, I had a really good time. (laughs) Check them out, folks. StatesideAPM.com. Go to Facebook.com forward slash StatesideAPM. If you're international or out of state, 
You're going to need these services at some point in time. Check them out. Send them a line. Say hi. He's a funny guy. Um, I've enjoyed it. And I always like somebody who does something crazy like move to another country. So well, before you go, if you're in Australia, we have a Sydney phone number if you want to call us. Yeah. What is that? Uh, I don't do you remember. Know. Well, send it to me. I'll put so, it in the show notes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and we have a UK number as well. So yeah. if you want to call us from Australia or the UK, it will cost you nothing. Yeah. Do you have Skype or you do Skype? We do as have, well? we Skype by appointment. Okay. Cause we want people to make sure they're smart in the office. You know, if we've got topless Tuesdays in the <laughs> office, <laughs> I'm coming next Tuesday. <laughs> oh dear God. So hairy. <laughs> the last thing you want to do is see me and Doug topless. You may want to start, uh, tanning. So stateside APM, facebook.com forward slash stateside APM. Definitely check out what he's doing. And if you enjoy this podcast and find it helpful, I need your help, folks. If you haven't already, rate and review on iTunes. If you don't have an iTunes account and you're on an Android, do me a favor, download it to your computer. I know it's a pain in the ass, but in the iTunes world, this is what matters. Also, share it across all social media. I really appreciate you doing that. Um, go to renegadedetroit.com if you have any comments, suggestions, or questions. Go to meetup.com forward slash Renegade Detroit Investors or facebook.com forward slash Detroit Investment Club if you're interested in attending any of the local meetings. You can hit me up on Twitter and Instagram at Jeremy Burgess. You can also check me out on Snapchat at Jeremy A. Burgess or go to youtube.com forward slash user forward slash Detroit Wholesalers. And as I wrap up this podcast, I know I do this every time, I want to take a moment to encourage you to take the steps you need to become financially independent. I know, I do it every week, but I fucking mean it, man. Come on. We're talking about it earlier. Why wait? Why wait? What time do you think you have? Why not now? Pick some goals. Stick with it. Don't give up. Do something every day that gets you closer, even if it's one step. And I want to thank you guys for listening. I really do appreciate your attention. It allows me to do this stuff. I really appreciate everybody's help, too. And until next week, crush it.